Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who just needs a little courage. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And I'm Jenny. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And it's a spiritual principle time for month four, April. What is courage? How do we make courage? How do we practice courage? What? See the wizard. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, you know, if I only had a brain. Um... Yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't even know where to start with this. In fact, I, I feel like I went into these spiritual principle a month idea like I did the traditions. I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to explore these and really dissect them and understand them. And now we're like four months in and I'm like, I don't even fucking think any of these are real anymore. I don't know. What is courage? Anybody? <laughs> well, I don't know specifically about courage, but with the spiritual principles, I mean, I look at them as these are tools that through the process of recovery i learn about i learn what they are i learn what they look like hopefully i learn you know places in my life where they might apply and then as life situations come up i try to apply them instead of my old coping skills i mean i've always looked at spiritual principles they're like new tools to live in life that i haven't been good at practicing or known how to practice before I guess, I mean, I, I like that and it sounds nice, but I don't, I don't tend to think of our principles as really tools, like they're ideas and, and you know, I can judge, uh, what was done in a situation, whether by me or by someone else as either a spiritual principle or a character defect, but it's not like to me, a, a tool is something I can use to actively feel able to do something different so when we think of that in in like a therapy sense like if you're feeling anxious hey let's use these tools of breathing techniques to like calm your body down and actually change your internal state to feel not so anxious right it's not like i go into a situation where i'm scared and i'm like oh let me just practice this courage that'll make me feel better inside like that doesn't work like that for me. So maybe these spiritual principles are more like bullshit. Point- <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> points to ponder. So more, maybe they're more like koans, like points for discussion and argument and just uh. to kind of exercise and roll around your brain. Well, see, I look at like a six and seven step where I learned about like my character defects and my old ways of dealing with life and how I typically cope with situations. And then I look at these spiritual principles and like, all right, well, this is what I could have done in place of that. You know, like that's why they're tools. And then in life, well, I get into situations in my life and then I decide, you know, now I didn't necessarily have the decision before, but now I have different information and a different set of skills because I've acquired this new tool. It's like lifting weights. Like maybe I can't lift a 50 pound sack of potatoes before I started working out, but now I know I can lift a 50 pound sack of potatoes because I've lifted that amount of weight before. I know what that is, kind of know how much it is, know how to get ready for it because I've had some practice in doing it. 
Okay. I mean, so... that to me is why they become, they're not just mystical ideas that I read about it and then all of a sudden, bam, like I'm encouraged all the fuck up. <laughs> That's so courageous. Right. <laughs> you know, read about courage. Read now, I do know, though, for some of courage, because there was a very interesting, I think it was a Radio Lab podcast they did about people that are heroes, that are heroic in situations in life. And there's actually a hero award that you can get if you've done a heroic thing. It's really fascinating. There's an organization they put out you know, different stories of like a hero of the month kind of thing. And it's people that have ran into burning buildings or rescued people out of, you know, car accidents mm. or all these like crazy things. One was a story about this. I think it was a lady who rescued another person from being like attacked by a bull in a fucking, <laughs> the person went out, they thought it'd be cool to go into this wow. field full of cows and take pictures and shit. And then this bull started mauling them. And what this person, this lady did to like climb in there and lure the bull away. But anyway, in, in all of that and the, the science behind a lot of that, they realized that so much of that is internally built. It's not. Like, we all think, like, oh, I would jump in front of a bullet to save my kids and stuff like that. But what they said, the science shows that a lot of that fight or flight kind of stuff isn't just nat Like, it's natural. It's whatever is in your internal system. And most people, when they're asked, you know, in those situations, they're like, well, I don't know. I just did it. Like, mm -hmm. it just, there was a situation. Here's what happened. It felt like the right thing to do. And I just did it. <laughs> hmm. That's, I feel like that bolsters my argument from last episode that like, we don't have any, we just do the menu option available to us. We don't really have a say in that. I would say the only counter to that is people that go into war, like soldiers or firefighters or, you know, police officers that they get training and learn to go into those situations. I can't imagine every person that's a soldier and goes to war inherently had the fight reflex built into them. Like they, so, now they come back traumatized. Well, right. <laughs> and they don't, they don't actually get trained to be more courageous. They get desensitized to what goes on in war. Are like they trained to, the, to follow orders. Well, they're, they're trained to, they're desensitized to the idea that like bombs are going off around you and bullets are whirring overhead and there's lots of loud noise going on, like in the sense of the soldiers. Right. And I guess the fire people would be trained to, you know, heat doesn't bother me and all that as much. Like you get desensitized to these, but I don't necessarily know that when you get in the situation that actually makes you a better soldier or more courageous. Like you hear the ideas of like some people go over and they're, you know, jumping on grenades to save people and other people are over there like hiding in the foxhole, not even shooting because they're just scared. Yeah. So like, or they desert or. Well, I guess my understanding of courage, and this gets back to your original question to begin with, is what is courage? So uh, I'm going to use a little recovery meme cliche, whatever you want to call it. It's like courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to walk through fear. Um, the desensitized part of soldiering would actually, I would say, not be courage. Right. But it's when you, I mean, I would say most of those guys are fearful when you watch sort of, what is that, Tom Hanks movie? Uh, Saving Private they, Ryan. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, where they're on the boat and they're getting ready to storm the beaches. Like, those guys, you can tell they're fucking scared, but they get out and do it anyway. So to me, they've learned. Wasn't much option by then, was there? I mean, what else are you going to do, stay on the boat? 
I think some of them did. I mean, I don't know, but you know, that's what I mean. Maybe it's that being surrounded by other people doing it give you the courage. But I, I'd imagine that's a fucking scary situation. You know, you're going into peril, and yet you you move in spite of that fear. Like that's I what almost, I've understood courage to be. To me, that's almost flight. I feel like if you just stay on the boat, <laughs> you're yeah, definitely right. getting shot. You're you definitely know, gonna die. If I get on in the, the water boat. and try to get behind something, right. maybe I'm a little safer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I mean, the dictionary definition of courage ties into what you said, the ability to do something that frightens one uh, or strength in the face of pain or grief. But I, I, you know, going back to the cow thing, I'm like, or the bull, like, I mean, I don't know. To, I, I'm sure it's courageous to get in there and try to help out in any way, shape or form. I'm much less impressed that she like lured the bull away instead of like going over and body slamming. Well, I think she went over and bashed it on the head with something. Oh, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, it was was pretty impressive. I mean, that's why that story stuck out. I was like, holy shit. I don't know if I would do that or not. (laughs) Probably be throwing things at it from far away. Hey, bull. (laughs) (laughs) Who's got my red cape? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know though. I just, what's something you're scared to do that you've been able to do? All right, so we've probably all been commended for our courageous recovery, right? You have, right? Yeah. Je- Jenny was scared to make tomato sauce <laughs> out of tomatoes, but she did it. <laughs> I faced Sorry. that fear. Um, I'm going to make you some sauce this summer. Um, so, uh, but haven't you been like people have commented like you know when your anniversary comes up or whatever, like oh, your courageous recovery. No. I and I don't know if I would say mine You're was so brave. Mine was desperate. My life was yeah. fucking horrible. Well, that's it how it feels really, to you. Didn't yeah. take much courage. Yeah. I mean, well that's that's my point though. It doesn't feel like we're being courageous we're like doing what we need to do to save our lives, but outside are looking in like, "Wow, you're never going to drink again." That's brave. You know? Hmm. Um I don't know if I've ever heard it about being wow, you're not going to shoot heroin anymore. That's so <laughs> brave. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring. Yeah, maybe it's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've gotten the one like so. I have a daughter with Down syndrome, and people will say how courageous of a parent I am, and I'm like, I'm just being a parent. What you know, fucking like, other choice do you have? Yeah, like when I signed up to be a parent, I was going to take care of this kid and see that she makes it to adulthood. Well, you do have other choices. Well, thanks for that vote of courageousness. I was thinking about putting her in the dumpster, but yeah. you know, I just went with it. So and this though. isn't to make any, well, now I will bash people a little bit, but like my, you know, we have an older daughter who has a disability and her father has not been around to take care of the responsibilities that my wife and I have been around to take care of for the last 30 years of her life. So there are, you know, choices that you can make there that are different and he but is, is that about her disability or just about him like he could have done that if she was not without disability i guess right um, like there's plenty of dads that just don't show up for their kids true but would I'm it just, be in a i mean it, the situation with her requires a lot more energy than just mm-hmm. going and picking up your kid to go hang out and go bowling or you know be a shitty dad <laughs> i don't know it it, requ- it definitely requires more and you know than regular parenthood i don't know that he would have been a good dad in spite of her disability but what i'm saying is the decision to walk through those challenges and do difficult things i would say my wife was very courageous in those things because it wasn't just she hasn't just gone along with she's done a lot of fighting and a lot of 
battling to with insurance companies and the state and social services and different organizations to get her quality of life that she needs. I don't think that's courageous, though. And I'm not trying to take away from the accomplishment. Yeah. I, I highly respect Jen for advocating. Right? But whether I that think was it's courage huge. or not. I don't think she went into it walking through fear. Hmm. Like she was pissed. She's like, no, fuck yeah, that. You're I was going to say she was angry. That I'm was gonna, a lot of that was anger. Yeah, so yeah it was maybe. more of a sense of moral obligation. Like, no, you guys are wrong. What you need to help was. her. It wasn't like, oh, my God, they might kill me if I go tell them that they're doing the wrong thing. I better. But I got to. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't. It doesn't feel necessarily courageous. Hmm. I think a lot of people look at what she did as courageous because some parents That's would just sit back. I mean. You know, just like a, I guess, a cursory glance, like mm, that took courage going up against the state fighting for what's right. You know, yeah, because and it's different when you have three or four or five people telling you, "Oh no, you can't do that. No, you're not allowed. No, we don't do that." Well, and <laughs> you know? and I don't doubt that it takes something special in her. I just think courage is mislabeled. Personally, I don't see. There's not like a fear of repercussion if she does it and it doesn't work out. She just doesn't get it. Which is where she's already at anyway. There's really nothing to lose. Right. Well, there might be a fear. I mean, you'd have to get into that with her. But I, yeah. I guess the more the concept of courage is most of these principles, and we've talked about this with other spiritual principles, like they sort of work in tandem or together. It's not like courage in and of itself is necessarily what solves your problem, but it might take courage to be able to push out of an uncomfortable situation or push yourself like, ah, what if I start and this doesn't go the way I want and this, you know, fuck, man, what if I make it worse? I might make it worse by trying to change the situation, you know, and you get all this fear and anxiety over mm. trying to change and then, you know. It's not necessarily specifically courage that's going to win the day for you, but it takes some of that courage to be able to, you know, walk forward and do the hard stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think if anything, and again, we're all different, so this is totally just what I would be going through in that situation, and who knows what Jen was. She's not here to tell us, but I think the only fear I would have would be the amount of work it would take. <laughs> right? like, oh, that's my legit, God. I would ah, say. That that's, sounds fucking exhausting yeah. to mm -hmm. go yeah. through all these hurdles to try yeah. to make like that would i would feel maybe courageous to walk through that like ah took on that work oh, but that's boy. how she ended up getting up getting into the work of advocacy with mm -hmm. recovery people was her experience with doing that stuff and people telling you no and slamming doors in your face and mm. you know that stuff she's just now taking that skill set and learned to apply that in other areas so uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've heard courage in the sense of like, it's courageous to be in recovery, but I think I've heard it more and maybe not for me so much, but I've heard people say it's courageous for people to openly talk about it. Like that's a thing because I guess you are facing a public backlash. Like there's some fear in that. So to yeah. walk through that and be open about your recovery journey, I think that might be courageous or labeled as courageous. Well, and there's little steps of courage that are, you know, individual steps like for myself. So I was sexually abused when I was a kid early in recovery. I'd have never said that out loud. Definitely never in a room full of people. You know what I mean? It was too like I would immediately be overcome with shame and I would turn beet red and, you know, just totally shut down. And now, though, from talking about it with a sponsor and then working through some of that and, you know, working on some like abuse stuff. Now I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I don't 
really care what you think. But it took courage in the beginning mm-hmm. to be able, and even now sometimes it's still like I'm going to express this vulnerable point about myself because I do it now because I think the benefit is where I don't think enough men are courageous enough to talk about it. I think most people are ashamed and embarrassed about it. And, you know, if we can sort of get rid of some of that shame and embarrassment and show people like, yeah, you can talk about this and not have to feel sort of weird about it, you know, but that initial process took a lot of courage and trust to be like, well, I think this is the right thing to do. Fuck it. I'm going to take the risk. And I think you are incredibly courageous for sharing that personally, because as a guy who struggled with feeling like not enough of a man for a lot of my life, the idea of sharing that is just like so scary to me, right? And and I don't have that particular story in mind, but anytime I've encountered that story, I'm like, holy fuck, you got to really be courageous to like have that kind of self-acceptance or be willing to put yourself out there for that kind of judgment because there is a connotation that can come with that or a judgment. All right, now, Jenny, you share something really deep, dark, and personal <laughs> yeah, right. so I can tell you you're <laughs> come courageous on, let's see too. your courage. <laughs> But like right now, that it like that doesn't feel overly courageous to talk mm. about that now in my life. It really doesn't. It's you know that's just a part of who I am, and it's like right. it's something I've shared enough to where I don't feel like it's any shocking revelation. Mm. But you know what I mean. So now it doesn't feel courageous to to share. That's just a part of my story. Like I was an addict, you know. <laughs> like uh, so courage. now it might feel different in different situations. If I was in a biker club and a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might not want to share it so much <laughs> so is courage something that we actually feel like we need to have to walk through the fear or is courage something that somebody else labels the situation from outside like is that even a thing we get like is that is it courage in the situation when you walk through it or is it just like I hope that this makes me feel better by sharing this good point I think it's a label because when you're going through it it's those other maybe spiritual principles it's like the willingness the perseverance you know like when you're going through it somebody outside is the labeling it oh look at that courage the trust that it'll like, be better after i do it mm-hmm. trust in the process yeah that's where yeah. most of that come from for me is just trusting that it's well and that goes back to what you were talking about the heroes that got interviewed like none of them felt like what they did was courageous they were probably in the situation and like I will fucking hate myself if I have to go home tonight and live with the fact that this lady got mauled by a bull in front of me and I did nothing. So I just can't live with that. Like, it probably didn't feel like courage to them. And we're all on the outside like, that's a spiritual principle that you need to fucking practice. Huh. Yeah. And some of these principles, I go back to, you know, the I think it's in the Triangle of Self-Obsession pamphlet in NA, you know, talked about this on another episode recently. Encyclopedic. Was, you know, not outgrowing the self-centeredness of the child and that through our normal upbringing a healthy upbringing i should say you gain certain life skills and and things you know through your normal growth and as addicts we don't get that normal growth it gets interrupted for some reason and now here we are as adults lacking these life skills you know what i mean we don't know we just know oh shit this doesn't feel good i'm not gonna do this i'm doing something else or i'm gonna get high because then i don't have to feel this thing you know i can numb myself to the feelings well and maybe that goes back to what we talked about a little bit or or maybe even debated about last episode uh this idea that we don't you know that pamphlet says for whatever reason we didn't 
grow into adulthood or emotional maturity or whatever, but maybe it is this internal landscape of ours that was developed as a, a child and, and pre-child that just didn't grow in the way that allows us to feel okay, allows us to fully develop that cognitive adult ability. Yeah. Whether you mean like nature, nurture, or a little of both, or... Well, just saying, like, we've kind of <laughs> called it like a... I don't know. The pamphlet almost refers to it as like this mystical thing that happened like this we don't know what but something kept <laughs> us from this but maybe like as our scientific uh, ability develops we're learning well your fucking brain structure is different and it can't take in the right chemicals that other people's can and that's why you didn't that's why your two pieces of your brain can't communicate and you can't have all that higher level thinking overrule that survival state yeah uh, i mean that could be i mean <laughs> i just i don't know <laughs> And I guess I, I sort of sit here and try to psychoanalyze my approach to everyday life <laughs> stuff, you know, like how do I, when these situations come up, like what do I do? What is the process? And I guess for a lot of situations that reply immediate responses, I think it is a lot more neurological and a lot more impulsive. But I guess when I think of something like courage, like I'll, you know, recent situation in my life that I would say took courage, although I wouldn't call it courage in the moment, but I had a opportunity. I was presented with a new career choice. I had to go in and talk to my current boss about that career choice. And it wasn't like I didn't have a spur of the moment. Like I have to do this right this moment. It was like this thing was presented to me. Now I have this information and what do I want to do with it? You know? And, and what do I think is the right thing to do? So I would sit down and start looking at, all right, what are my values? What, what things do I think are important to me? Well, I think it's important to be honest. I think it's important to be, uh, you know, open and willing and just, you know, have some integrity, be a person that lives by principles. So, you know, I made a decision to go in and sit down and talk with my current boss and say, hey, this is what happened. This is what is presented to me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what this means for our relationship here, but I'm just telling you this because this information was given to me. I want to be open and transparent. I'm not trying to be a secretive person. There was a lot of fear in that for a lot of reasons. One, he's my friend. I've known him for 20 years. I didn't know what the response was going to be. There's also fear that it's going to hurt his feelings and and he's going to be insulted or offended. He might get pissed off at me. You ungrateful fucking asshole. Like all that things went through my head. But I just said, no, I'm just I. And maybe this is like trust, faith, like a culmination of these other things. Like I'm going to trust in this process that being an honest, open person living by these principles is going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know how it's going to look like, but I'm just going to do it. And that's practicing courage. Or alternate theory <laughs> what if those fears that you just described were outweighed by the fear of who you would be or how it would go if you didn't talk about it with him until later like what if it was more scary the idea of like putting it on him at the last minute like hey yeah, not gonna be here monday or well, this is such scary. a recent situation i can only specifically say what 
ideas crossed my head when I made the decision to do it. So if there was some subliminal fear of what I would have been without, I can't speak to right. that. I can only say I can specifically tell you what my fears were mm -hmm. going into that I was aware of. I was consciously aware of my fears going in and what was willing to hold me back. But that's how the practice of the program has been for me. It's like I when I have situations where I can contemplate a decision, not impulsive decisions but when i have situations where i get some time to think all right how do i want to act moving forward what what are my next choices going to be i try to look at all right you know these are the principles that i want to try to live by but that's actually fascinating to me because what that says is if you didn't even take the time to cognitively consider what the fears would be of like telling him later or how it could play out different or if you were okay with being the person or how you would look if you did it differently than that to me, that says that's less of really you cognitively thinking about it because all those decisions were already made for you. So really, you just kind of mentally masturbated about the fears of actually doing what you already knew you were going to do anyway. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm confused. <laughs> so like I, I asked, I asked, what if the, the fears of doing it differently were bigger? And you said, well, I didn't even consciously think about any of those. I just kind of went through the fears that I was facing in the situation. But you were using that as a tool to describe how you cognitively approached it to make the decision. But the decision okay. was already made. You just cognitively thought about how it could be scary and might go wrong. You already knew what you were going to do. Well, yeah. I mean, that goes into the whole process of whether we have free will or not and all that stuff. Well, which... we technically don't. Right. And I agree with most of that. But I guess the problem is I can't walk through my life thinking that I have no input into how I live. Why not? So free. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking awesome. I mean, at least for me, so I've, what I believe in coming into recovery is that my decision making of just doing what I wanted because I wanted to, when I wanted to was detrimental to my life and well-being. I think the only piece of us that actually needs to believe that we have a say in our life is the ego. That's the only piece that it matters to. The rest of us doesn't give a fuck. We just do whatever. But the ego needs to believe that we did it. Oh, yeah, I made that choice. Is there any I Buddhist philosophy that. around that? Like, do we make decisions in our life or are we just... Oh, Buddhist definitely All right, so, so I'm, I'm not like... <laughs> Are you As, following this kind of where we're going with yeah, the conversation? Yeah, and I'm not okay. like 100. percent I don't know if I can teach this right, but <laughs> sure you so, can. that's okay. We're not teach what we're talking <laughs> about, right? Either. I don't even know what the fuck <laughs> right. I'm talking about. I just can't help myself. <laughs> right. So, and uh, I think I've shared this with you, Jason. So, but like, there's the Buddhist concept of emptiness, and that's you know, you are not, you are not Billy. You are just a bunch of shit put together that we call Billy. So, I hope I'm not a bunch of shit. Too. <laughs> Apparently, so, you're better thing. No, Can I yeah, be a bunch of confetti no. or something? <laughs> but I mean, like Snakes you are a puppy dog. <laughs> you know, you're like. <laughs> so you're, you know, your your parents, your environment, your you know, like skin and bone and muscle and um, like ideas are put into your brain, and you know, it's all put together. But really, you're just a bunch of molecules and matter put together to make billy and um there's not a billy molecule space you know? dust, right yeah and so if i'm understanding the buddhist zen concept of emptiness so 
that I think would lend towards what Jason argues is that like we're not really responsible for shit. So, but is, that a, good, is that a good summary of your perspective? For shit, at least, yeah. and maybe I'm gonna get this wrong, but I'm trying to. I'm saying what I think he's saying, so maybe <laughs> this is helpful. What I think he's saying is, as you get into choices in your life, let's say you walk into a store and you, you know, get too much change, the cashier hands you back too much change. Like, do you have any input into what decision you make in that situation, or do you just react to what's the best decision that you can, whether you keep the money or not? Right. So you're saying, like, was I brought up with the right values? Like, what values were instilled? With what do you have any personal? Do you uh, get a choice? Right. Do you have any <laughs> responsibility for that, how you act in, in that, that situation? In that very moment? Yeah, I'm going to say, yes, I do, like on the human level. But if we're going to go back, like, down that, like, black hole of Jason, like, back to the womb, back to, like... Machine learning. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, with the Gabor Mate, like, mm -hmm. you know, is it is it, did it happen during, you know, the natal stage or you know why stop there why don't we just keep going back you know like all of humankind you know right like, like my parents experience and their mm -hmm. natal stages and yeah so um but yeah like in the moment on like this plane of existence yeah i have a choice you know but if we want to go um you know way back you know i guess you could you know that what is that like butterfly effect like mm -hmm. way back yeah. how much responsibility pines. do we really have you know and i would never disagree i mean i think there are definite things beyond our control that make us who we are. Like, that's for sure. You know, what we believe now is necessarily that the higher level thinking doesn't really make choices. It's got the ability to inhibit responses that the survival brain suggests. Right. So like you're in a situation, somebody pisses you off. You're like, I'm going to fucking punch him. And your higher level brain has like half a second or less to say, no, you're not. <laughs> so it's more like free won't, yeah, not really maybe, free will. I mean, maybe it is ego, but I guess the way <laughs> that I heard it explained that was, I guess, most helpful to me. It's like I do kind of believe like when you walk into a store and you go to order food and you look at the board like – your brain already knows what you're going to order before your conscious decision knows what you're going to order. Even though you contemplate, well, I just had a cheeseburger the other day and maybe I should eat something healthy, but man, a cheesesteak looks really good. Like your brain has already made that decision before you're fulling around with all that contemplating. Yeah. And you just mentally masturbate and you about that. just mentally masturbate about that. But then, <laughs> and, and I kind of agree with that. I, w I would say, yeah, I can follow that. But where it, Another way it was explained to me is like exactly where we are in our life and the decision we're going to make in this next moment is like saying if you took a set of billiard balls and put it on a table and then hit it with a cue ball and the balls went all over the table, you could scientifically predict where each of those balls was going to go based off how fast the thing Geometry. was moving and what the angle and the spacing between the balls. If you had every precise measurement in that whole moment. Mm -hmm. But we will never have every precise measurement in that moment to be able to figure out what our next choice is going to be. So it's almost. Is that because it's infinite? Like because. Yeah, there's just well, too many random choices mm -hmm. to. Right. There's too many variable choices to figure out what that decision is going to be. So it's. Even if it is just mental masturbation, it's more helpful for me to think that 
I can influence my decision making by trying to input positive things in there to try to input information that's going to help make a different decision in the next time or that's going to help me do something different in the next moment. If I just act as like I never have any influence over that, then what am I doing to improve myself or improve my situation so that I have different information when that next choice comes up? Just be present. So I think that's enough. Yeah. I walk in, I look at the menu and I'm like, okay, I'm here. What's it saying? Oh, getting the barbacoa on the Chipotle menu. Okay. And then I eat it and I'm present with it. Was it fucking good? Hell yeah. Definitely getting barbacoa next time. Like I, I don't have to have that big, do I need salad? Do I need that? Like if I eat it and I'm like, ah, I feel like shit. Well, then maybe salad is on the menu for me next time. You don't feel like shit now, but then five years from now you're in heart attack range because you ate too many barbacoas or whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> then maybe the you know? salad is on the agenda from then on. So, I don't know. I just do I it, can man. Right, but that's where I guess I feel like, okay, so maybe that stuff is impulsive, but I can you know, be on my control, but if I start doing things I do have some influence on how I might react in the future. Maybe I say, all right, 10 years from now, I want to be healthy. I want to be walking around. I've seen people that aren't making those choices. So I'm going to try to do some things that are going to put me in a position later, even if I'm just acting as if, and even if it is just mental masturbation, well, it still seems like there's very low risk to reward in those situations. So I think it's courageous to let go of that. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to bring us back to courage somehow. And of course that makes me look good. Uh, No. So I, I, I guess for me, you know, the, the fear or the worry about that mental masturbation is that is usually shaming. Hmm. It's, Oh, you're going to get that cheesesteak. You fucking unhealthy fuck. Right. Why didn't you get a salad? You piece of shit. You know you need it. You know you're going to feel better five years from now if you ate salads the whole fucking time instead of putting all this red meat into your goddamn system. God, you are a piece of shit. How are you ever going to teach your kids to be better? They're going to eat fucking cheesesteaks and die early too. Like, that's where the extra thinking goes for me. And I don't need that. I and I have need, a little bit of that. Not just, quite that extreme. But well, yeah, yeah that I was a little. The, I mean, yeah, but I did the same emphasis. thing. I, yeah, that is true. But I'm just allowing myself to be wherever I'm at cheesesteak is what I want right now. Okay, I'm going to allow me to be there. Like at some point in time, yes, I would like to eat a little healthier. Maybe it's not salads. Maybe it's chicken steak or something. But let me just let myself be here until it feels like the right time. I feel like we change better with that compassionate, loving understanding of like, it's okay to need this right now than we do with all that mental shaming that I can do when I'm thinking through shit. Maybe, but when there's bigger things at stake, like my parental choices or whether I decide to be present with my child, you know, that has a disability or whatever else. Like, I think the stakes are a lot higher. Some stakes are more immediate. I I can only speak from where I'm at. And again, this is a guy who has taken a long time to feel calm and safe in his own body. Right. For me, I feel a greater ability to be the guy I want to be in any given situation. The guy I can look back on and be like, whew, thank God I got that one that way and not the other guy that comes out sometimes. And I feel that from a place of just allowing me to be. That has gotten me closer to being who I want to be ultimately. More often I look back on my days and say, man, I did put my phone down earlier. That was really awesome. I felt great. And the times when I didn't, it's like, hey, it's okay. Maybe I needed that break today. 
Yeah. Like, huh. I feel like that keeps getting me closer and closer to being a better human. And it's like, why did I beat myself so long? And it's so funny because I don't know, and I can't use the word better, but like the things that motivate me to do difficult things. Like, I have a tendency to, if I say it's okay to take it easy on myself, I take it way too fucking easy. <laughs> like, like, I will just eat ice cream and shitty food, and then I'm at the doctor, and they're talking about my cholesterol. Maybe at like, first. Maybe because you've brutalized that's what I've yourself. Done. That's not, that's, I've right. already been there. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, but I, I wonder if that is from a place of the whole time you were doing it, there was still criticism, right? There was still the feeling of you're doing it wrong. Like, I feel like once we allow it, it doesn't have power as much anymore. It's almost like we do it in spite of or to spite. It's kind of like uh, what I was thinking about when you talk about harm reduction in between episodes just now. Like when you meet somebody and allow them to be where they're at, right? Oh, hey, that's where you're at. Okay, cool. We're still going to love you. Well, then it's almost like all the reasons I had that said drugs are right for me was because everybody else said they were wrong. It's like, I'm going to show these motherfuckers. No, it's, you're all are the problem, not the drugs, right? And then, you know, had somebody just given me drugs and shit and I had as much as I wanted and I'd have had unlimited resources and money and new needles and shit, I'd have been like, fuck, this isn't working. <laughs> or you'd be dead. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully I'd be using a safe use site like we talked about and they'd kept me alive until I realized <laughs> that, you know. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I, do you have more to say about that? I want to get us back to courage a little bit. But I'm open to no, not, not speaking. I last. mean, I just still comes back to like I have to live like I have some responsibility for the choices and things that I make, or I choose to. I don't have to do anything. That's fair. Um, and I, I would say I probably agree with most of what you said. I just don't know how that benefits me overly. But I guess you've described some ways that benefits you, so I'd have to. I don't know. I just don't. It's overly... hard to consider things that you don't know because you didn't do. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know how that would be because I didn't do that. <laughs> this episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, Members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So, so Jenny, what's something you are terrified of doing uh, right now? Like you would not do in your life right now. It's too scary. Oh. And that doesn't have to be like something you really want to do either. Yeah. It could just be. I'm I'm never going to jump out of an airplane. No? For fun. Is that scary? Yes. Okay. What, what about you? What do you got that's scary that you would not do right now? Um, I can't say I would never do that. I don't know. There's too much I would never do. I mean, some probably evil things <laughs> what if they <laughs> set up a what if they set up a, a truck ramp out front and put like 50 cars side by side and you know would you go jump it in your truck uh if they gave me safety stuff not my regular truck 
because it's too scary. I like adventure, so I'm a thrill seeker person. So like mm. when you like I don't want to jump out of an airplane. I used to when I was younger. But if someone like said tomorrow, like, hey, for free, you want to go jump out of a plane, I would probably go do it. But I don't really I have no desire to do it. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff I would not do out of fear. I mean, and yeah. some of it would probably be like like I would not jump off a, you know, thirty story building. Like I'd be scared. Yeah. I mean it would I'd probably die. I wouldn't do like what do they call that where you walk on a cable across stuff, uh, the high line or high Highlining. wire, yeah, okay. whatever, any of that stuff. I probably wouldn't do any of that. So generally, that's not bad, right? <laughs> that yeah. we would not do those things, right? Healthy, like it's right? probably good that I would not jump off a thirty story building because that would be the death of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know, there's this idea that we want these right sized proportions of, you know, we call them spiritual principles. Some people call them virtues, whatever you call them you're not necessarily looking for like an unlimited amount of this. Like a deficiency in courage could be cowardice, but too much courage would be recklessness. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not going out of here today and driving home, driving 120 miles an hour on the side road back to my house. Like that, I'm fucking scared. And that's one of those things I've heard in recovery, which I've never put a whole ton of thought into, but it's the idea that, Character defects are actually assets that are overblown. Mm-hmm. It's that same concept. Well, but so if that's the case for courage, right? And I think we kind of brought this idea up in honesty too. Maybe all of these spiritual principles aren't necessarily what you're supposed to do all the time or with a hundred percent. Maybe right. there oh, is this sure. right. middle path of like, I'm not always supposed to be. <laughs> courageous sometimes i'm supposed to be fucking scared and not yeah. be courageous and walk through it because that to be crazy to jump off a goddamn building yeah and it's like the idea that avoidance of fear is the goal and i don't think that should be a goal i think mm. fear is a another feeling that is definitely has value you know there are times where i should have fear you know but the one that always comes back to me that i was told is like if you go to a bad neighborhood in the city and start walking down a back alley by yourself probably pretty stupid you know especially nowadays in baltimore city you know like like if you're in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time that is not the place you want to be and that is a healthy fear to have you know so billy i come to you you're my sponsor and i'm getting ready to work step four and they're talking about how you need courage you know searching and fearless moral (laughs) inventory that needs to be written there and i'm like dude i don't have courage How, how do i get more of it what do you tell me I don't know that I have an answer on how you huh. get more cur. I mean, some sponsor you are. <laughs> <laughs> I got an answer for you. Okay, okay. all right. Go ahead. I mean, I have to think about it. Okay. Um. So my uh, spiritual advisor Instagram. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Somewhere along the lines, I, I was like, "You have a spiritual advisor? <laughs> I didn't know that." <laughs> no, it's Instagram. like a culmination of like spiritual teachers on uh, Instagram. But somewhere along the lines, I learned about courage being the combination of the two words core edge, like your core, follow me, you know, your heart. And so courage is acting from your core, like your values. What do you hold in your heart as valuable? So like being courageous, acting from your core values, it's not, it's not like, it's just, you do it. This is the people that are running into burning buildings or stopping bulls with their bare hands. Yes. They're, they're doing, and they don't think of themselves <laughs> as I'm going to go be bad. courageous. They're just doing it because that's a core value. It's like, I got to save that child's life. And like saving children is a core value. 
And they don't think of it like, I'm going to muster courage. They're just acting on their core value. And then people see that and say, wow, they were courageous. So anyway, to if you want to build courage, how would you advise your sponsee to build courage? I would say is get in touch with your core values. Like sit down and think about what are your core values and then start acting from that place. That is did you know, I mean, for real, that the Latin word for heart is core? That is a Maybe that's thing. probably yeah. what the, <laughs> where the foundation like, of that like came my, from. So that is where that mm, word comes okay. from, is the, the Latin word for heart is core. That sounds and about so right. Courage comes from your heart. So, well, oh what's God. the age part? Uh, I don't know. Gets better with age? Yeah. Huh. I didn't continue reading. It doesn't say anything. I'm Jenny at said it. that, and I was like, I think I read that somewhere in my little bit of research I did on courage. So, yeah, and, you know, just thinking a little bit about what you said, I guess for me, that process of finding the courage to do it was working through the proceeding or the, yeah, the proceeding steps, getting to that place and trusting that the process of recovery was going to have benefit in my life that, you know, it, I didn't necessarily have to do it all at once and it didn't have to be a giant admission to spill your whole soul. Just share right now what you're willing to share. Talk about what you're willing to talk about and hmm. you'll get what you need to get out of the process. So why do we talk about courage in step four when it says to make a searching and fearless moral inventory? Because courage is not the absence of fear. So if we make a fearless moral inventory, that would not take any courage. You gotta yeah. pretend you're fearless. Yeah, is that what that is? Do it like you were fearless. If you're fearless, how would you do yeah. this? Make a searching and pretend you're fearless. Moral inventory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's like one of those words that changed definition with time. So that also goes in contradiction to what you just said, though, because if the way to increase our courage is to understand our core values because it's not actually courage that's acting in those situations, it's just we're acting in ways that agree with our core values. Step four is the introduction to even starting to grasp what any of our core values are. So how are we supposed to have courage going into it when that's exactly what we're starting to look at? Maybe the first core value is I want to get sober. Well, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to get into it with, I guess, Bill W. and Dr. Bob about what the original Fuck. intention of a searching and fearless moral inventory is, because a moral inventory does not imply this telling of our life story and every deep, dark secret that we have that's how it's implied in our practice today but i don't i mean when you read the like if you looked up the words moral inventory i don't think it would say tell every deep dark secret that you have <laughs> like, mm. i think it would be what are your values what are your you know beliefs and what are your morals and how do we get there now we've sort of come to this understanding that the way to get there is by talking about our past and talking about our history and how those things have affected us. I actually us. agree with that. But what, that that's the way to get there or I right. think so. But I, you know, I don't know a hundred percent that that means share every deep, dark secret that we have. Well, I, I think it's the exploration of our history and our situations and how we've acted in them that does give us or shine a light onto what are our values? Oh, well, I did this thing and it felt awful and I feel terrible about it afterwards and I felt shame. Oh, shit. Well, that must mean that my value is this because that's not how I acted in that way. And had I acted that way, I probably wouldn't have felt any of that shit afterwards. So it's almost like exploring those situations leads us to 
understanding what our morals really are. And oh, the I agree. I'm just saying if we're getting into a literal nitpicking of the right. words of they use searching and fearless moral inventory doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be a searching and fearless admission of every terrible thing we've ever done. Like, yeah, you know, well, and, and the hard but part I agree is, with the process. Sorry. Oh, no, just the hard part, I think, of that point in time is like what I would do in therapy as we explore someone's history the whole time. I'm trying to, you know, give constant reminders and and you know, be connected with them to help them feel that like that doesn't make shame for them. Like they don't have to be ashamed of that. It's, it's less what the fuck was wrong with you and more like, Oh, what happened to you that put you in a situation where that's how you acted? Right. It's right. more curiosity. It's like when we can be curious about it to understand it better, we don't have to feel the, the shame of being a bad person for doing it. And I don't know that Anywhere in my 12-step process was anybody helping me with that to understand that, like, those things didn't necessarily make – the understanding I got or that was given to me was more like, hey, that's what you did then, but you don't have to feel like that's who you are now, right? And, and it's like that's didn't necessarily remove the shame of who I was then and what I did. And I feel like we would might be better off helping people understand that, like – you didn't just wake up on a Tuesday morning and decide you wanted to be a piece of shit. Like this process of why you acted that way came from somewhere. Yeah, and it's I not can't say specifically bad. which step, but I guess I had a similar experience. I'm going to say through five, six and seven somewhere of like the, the getting into like, you know, this is why you did what you did. This is the reasons behind making these choices. And then is that in alignment with the morals and values that you say that you have or the person that you want to be because it doesn't seem to be. And then how do we get to a place where you're living by your morals and values? Hmm. But I don't like say it's hard to parse out which part happened in which step. It was a result of getting to the end of like a seventh step and realizing, hey, these are ways that I've dealt with these situations in the past. I wanted love, but I searched for that through all these outside relationships and abused women or took advantage of women in search of love. And that didn't get me to what I wanted because now I've become this person that's lying and deceitful and hurts people. And that's not really what I want to do at all. You know? Mm-hmm. But I don't know, you know, but I guess that process does take some courage, like trust. I guess that's where courage for me has come in. And most of recovery has been trusting that I might not get what I want out of this. I might not get as I look at situations in my life that come up. I typically already know what I want the outcome to be in most things, you know, and I tended historically to work backwards from a place of how do I get what I want? What do I need to tell you to get what I want? What do I need to do to get you to give me what I want? How do I manipulate this to be the outcome that I want? And in recovery, I've learned to be like, well, no, let's live by your morals and values and just see what the outcome's going to be. Maybe it'll be what you want, but maybe not. And that has, you know, where courage comes in. It's like, I might not get what I want out of this shit. So, and I think of that, what I want as that level of feeling okay. When, that we talk about, right? So if I have, if I'm at like a level 25% of just feeling all right in my existence and, you know, maybe the average human is at like 75, 
Like what I want is something to make me feel 75. That's mm. what I'm looking for. So I say it's what I want, but it's really more of a need at that point. I needed drugs to fucking alleviate the way I felt and feel more of this, you know, normal, typical level. And then when I got rid of drugs, it's like, well, I still don't feel fucking 75. I'm still right. down here at 25. Like, what the fuck? So now I got to use women. Now I got to use gambling. Now I got to use, you know, some other obsessive and compulsive. We say obsessive and compulsive, but like what it is, it, it's, we also say, you know, the level of like animal instinct or whatever. We lived like animals. Well, because we were like animals, <laughs> we were seeking this fucking thing that we needed. And people just like other people see, would seek food if they were deprived of it right because they would not feel okay in their body anymore we had that same thing and i think from an outside standpoint when you're not feeling that level of being down at 25 it's easy to say oh well, you just want that that's just a fucking choice well what if it's not what if those people are desperately seeking that the same way you would be seeking air if you were underwater well uh you know i mean i i don't know that that's a i don't know that that's a courage thing i, I mean the fear of not getting what I want is really the fear of feeling like I've always felt like that's fucking real. And, and that's not just like, Oh, I should muster up some trust that it'll well, not guess. work out. Right. Well, if you were underwater, you would not be like, well, I'll just trust that maybe I'll adapt to breathe water. Like that, that's not what you're going to fucking say. You're going to desperately search for air. No, but I guess for me, what I realize my satisfaction in my life comes from being my authentic self and living by values and morals that I think are right and important. And like, I have an understanding that they might be different probably for each of us, our list of morals and values, probably some of them are the same, but then they might fall in a different order or you might have a higher value on some that I have on others. So I don't think everybody has the same, but in general, I think most people would find some level of satisfaction and self-worth out of living by their morals and values and the process of recovery helps me see how i am living in areas where i am living by my morals and values and areas where i'm not but i guess to get back to what you're saying about certain people and being at the 25 percent minor standing of like that's the basis of the conversations around harm reduction and going out into communities and meeting people where they're at and maybe that's the best they can do is numb themselves with drugs and so you know you meet them there and say hey guess what you're a worthy human being you have value and we love you and if this is the best you can do that's okay but we'd like to help you get to another place if you want to do something different if not that's okay we'll meet you where you are but we don't want to leave you there we want to lift you up and, and build you from there um, and I think that like that's and this gets a little woo wooey especially for me but that's where like these principles of like love and compassion and understanding like that's where they become a higher power and they become a spark or an ignition to something greater in that other person that they didn't see in themselves woo woo <laughs> no I, uh, I I mean I think you're right like I okay so maybe I came into drug use at a 25 and then maybe when I got into recovery it was at a 30 you know let's just say it was a little tiny bit better for whatever <laughs> reason like i'm just a little older and, it, and and then maybe slowly but surely finding uh, enough of these options available for me you know and, and i'm not saying this is for everybody but it was like oh man i was honest in this situation where i used to be 
you know, dishonest and it felt good afterwards. And so maybe then I'm at a 31 and then enough of these and I'm at like a 40 or a 50. And then it was still supplementing that with some other practices in my life that were not necessarily healthy or producing great outcomes. And then it was therapy. And then it was like, okay, well now I'm at like maybe a 65, right? But still off. And then it was maybe antidepressant and like, I don't know, maybe I'm in a fucking 80 now. I don't know. I feel pretty goddamn good, right? But I, I, so yeah, there's something to that. It's just like, okay, for me, that felt doable. But what about for the other guy who got off drugs and maybe he was at like 15, right? Maybe he never got that feeling of being able to be honest in a situation and feel better later. Or maybe he did all those and only got to 16 and that was it, right? Like, it's like. I just don't know, man. And for me to like say, oh, well, you just don't have enough courage, that uh, that doesn't feel very relevant. And I wouldn't know how uh-huh. to tell him to get more. Man, just sit still. <laughs> just sit still till it feels different. Well, what if it doesn't? So do you, and I don't know, I'm just trying to get to, I guess, the point of, as someone who does therapy with people, Obviously, people are typically seeking you out. I don't think you're dragging anyone into therapy. Maybe uh, you are. Maybe yeah. you're out there I finding people door. to drag in. talks to us. I thought he was dragging us right. in. But, <laughs> like, you, and maybe there, I don't know, isn't there some belief that, like, talking through some of these things or there's a purpose to helping lead them to a better place of open-mindedness or enlightenment or not enlightenment, maybe, but... That, oh no! If you see me, we're doing enlightenment. <laughs> right, we're going there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, when people come to you, you just—I mean, I, I can't imagine you just go, "Oh, that's cool. That's where you feel. That's great. We'll come talk next week." Like, isn't there some, some sort days. of maybe some suggestions or maybe helpful information or different ways of looking at things that you can present as a therapist that's going to help someone get to. Even if it is just that two percent or three percent better, like I could tell them a whole lot of shit. Uh, right. That doesn't change anything generally. No. But the goal, I think, is to help them feel safer and calmer in their body, which changes your actual physiology. Physiolo- physiology. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and then from there, that's going to change the balance of chemicals. And then from there, if that hasn't done enough, well, we need to seek out some kind of medication that can make your chemicals feel better, right? Once you feel safe, I can help you explore and ask some really interesting questions that help you reevaluate and restory your life, right? So all the reasons you had that your life was because the way it was, well, now you get to go back and look at them and be like, oh, maybe it, maybe that's not the real story. Maybe it's this other story. And this story seems to have a whole lot more meaning for me now. But that story doesn't change when you're stuck in the state of the 25. So like my first process is I need to get you up somewhere near fucking 75 or this is going to be totally useless. That's the first goal. Um, and that happens through a variety of ways, right? We, we do use breathing techniques and tapping and all kind of other shit. But a lot of it is just uh, that nervous system to nervous system. Some would say in some theories, others would say that soul to soul connection, right? I, I have cultivated the ability to help people feel calm, comfortable, and safe um, through tone of voice, through through just 
you know, my presence, my ability to be mindful and in the moment with them. Um, and, and that goes a long way, but yeah, it's, it's changing your safety level first, and then we can go and, and relook at everything and change the way we feel about it. That's interesting. Cause I, when I was brainstorming this, I thought, you know, where, you know, when I was thinking about where courage comes from and secure attachment came to mind, like kids or adults who came from securely attached childhoods. And that's, what I, I mean, when you say all those things, like I, in my ideal state of recovery in 12 steps, whether it's AA or NA or, you know, any of the 12 step based programs like that, when you can whittle away all the personalities and the criticisms and judgments that we tend to put on to other mm -hmm. people in recovery, like that's the basis of that. If you look at like the traditions where we say the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop. You don't even have to be stopped. You can come here. We welcome you. We love you. Mm -hmm. Come here. Be with us. You know, we just want to help you. We just want you to get better. We want, you know, to guide you on this path and the steps and all this stuff are just suggestions. Like, I think that's the premise of it. It gets bastardized oh through different language and judgments and criticisms we put on people. And that part's sad. And I've been as guilty of it as anything, you know, oh, Same. they're not willing and they don't have courage and all that stuff. But like you said, some of them, some people come in and what we really just need is to feel welcomed and to feel loved and to feel like we matter. And a lot of us can identify when we come into meetings, like we identify with a group of people that's like us, you know, it's not like going to a counselor in a fancy office mm -hmm. who's got a fucking, you know, BMW that they're driving home to their family BMW, and shit every day, you know, and their pool in the backyard, you know, and you're a person that's living homeless shooting air, you know, like mm -hmm. that's such a far grasp. But when you go to a meeting and you talk to people or you see people that you've used with, you can start to build that connection. Or we have these community outreach programs like, you know, they do with the harm reduction programs and we try to meet people where they are and help them to feel loved and build them up and then like jenny said once we have a sort of little bit of safety we might be able to find the courage to like hey you know maybe i can stop using maybe i can move out of this neighborhood with these people that i've known my whole life maybe i can leave my abusive spouse or whatever you know but i don't think that courage is a thing that we just like it we just don't think about it and we have it. It it takes nurturing. It takes growth, you know, and then it takes a little bit of trust and faith to no, build on it. I agree. I totally agree. I, I would say, man, I, I wish the program looked a lot more like the way you described it because that was beautiful. Um, that, that was what I came into this episode really thinking. Like the only thing I could relate the idea or the state of courage to was when we talked about polyvagal theory and like. I did not, I don't from a survival state, whether that's fight or flight, whether that's freeze, I don't from those states have the ability to walk through fear. I'm paralyzed by it, right? But finding a way to help my nervous system stay more in this, you know, ventral spot, this safe, calm, connected place, like you talk about secure attachment, that's, you know, that's kind of, I guess, what that feels like to me. That's the place where courage seems natural almost. It's like I can be in that spot and have fear and that doesn't dictate what I need to do next, right? And, and again, you don't need to go necessarily see a therapist to, to help cultivate that. If you find a loving, compassionate person when you walk into the doors of a 12-step program, 
that makes you feel warm and accepted. Like we've all had those people when yeah. you're around them, you just fucking feel good, right? Yeah, some like, people get it through religious figures, yeah. a priest or a pastor or a deacon at a church, right? But but that's what I feel like I would understand courage to be for me. It would be that internal, safe, connected feeling because that allows me to do things that seem scary. Yeah. I, I don't know how and I don't know how to tell somebody to practice that. Like be around good people like i i have no fucking clue yeah <laughs> so it just seems made up i don't know isn't that cute because in the wizard of oz the cowardly lion he had it in him all along and it wasn't until he was hanging out with his pals mm. did the courage come out i you know surprisingly uh to me if you only met me in the last two months listening to this podcast i have not always i am the guy who is guilty of judging others <laughs> and them not doing enough recovery work and them not whatever pushing through whatever it is i literally have the fucking tin man from the wizard of oz tattooed on my arm because i felt like the guy who didn't always have a heart so it's kind of incredible to to be the guy i feel like i am today which is what i that's where i try to come from the most huh. maybe it was there all along <laughs> how cute any final thoughts on courage ah <sighs> no all right so courageously tell all your friends to listen to recovery sort of and we'll (laughs) see you next week did you like this episode share it with people you think might get something out of it check out the rest of our episodes at recovery sort of.com also while you're there you can find ways to link up with us on facebook twitter instagram reddit youtube anything We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.